Hello everyone. Before we get this podcast going, I need to warn you that there is some stronger language than normal on today's show. If you've ever listened to the Sunday 16 podcast, and if you haven't, you should, then you won't be surprised to hear that it's all Hamish Gill's fault, with some Jimmy D thrown in for good measure. So if you're playing this podcast within earshot of children or photographers that love toe-mapped HDR shooting, then it'd be best if you go somewhere else to listen. Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today from Gainesville, Florida, we have Carl Havens. Hello, Carl. Good morning. And from Chicago, Illinois, we have Johnny Sisson. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Now, with us reaching a something of a milestone, it's episode 25, so we've done a quarter of a century of podcasts now. Um, we thought we'd do something a little bit special, and I'm delighted to say that we've got two of our most popular guests back on the show. So from Worcester in the UK, we've got Hamish Gill of 35mmc.com. Hello, Hamish. You all right? And from LA County in California, I, I love saying LA County in California, um, we have James Giordano, better known to us now as Jimmy D. Hello, Jimmy. Hey, how you doing, guys? Oh, good. Um, now, last week, we were joined by Anil Mystery, and I think it's fair to say that was an absolutely fascinating listen. And he also inspired several listeners to go out and approach strangers in the street to take street photos and street portraits. And I'm delighted to say that there weren't any subsequent reports of any violence against photographers, so uh, that's, that's, that's all good. Um, so, Johnny, let's get straight into the uh, feedback, as usual, uh, from last week's show. Yeah, uh, so we had a wow, a, a long and lively conversation in the uh, Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group regarding the episode. Um, everybody likes swearing. I mean, it's like is the first comment topic now on every episode is who swore and who said what and who had the best swearing. So, I mean, it's like I have the best swear. It's like we should have Trump on or something. Anyway, anyway everybody's commenting on the swearing, so that's, that's always fun. Um, there was some conversation uh, continuing on regarding adapters. I know that Jimmy, you were talking about next adapters and um, confusion with Sony stuff, which they've brought on themselves by giving everything the alpha moniker, <laughs> whether or not it fits the right camera or not. So there's some conversation about Sony adapters there. Um, let's see. J J Jimmy, you were also saying how you'd like to focus on actual photography rather than gear for a change, which uh, I thought that was a really good exchange in there. Um, so you might want to check that out if you're uh, following up on the episode and, and haven't seen that conversation yet. Um, Cheyenne Morrison had some thoughts on uh, M42 cameras and open aperture mirroring with uh, both Chin and, and Yashica cameras as opposed to let's say, um, you know, Pentax, et cetera. So it, a conti continuation of that conversation, which I think keeps turning us right back to the same point, which is that M42 lens, uh, M42 cameras just aren't very good at open aperture metering. At least that's my opinion, <laughs> but we can, we can talk about that a little bit more. We have a, a question from, from Graham coming up about that. Um, Jason Elias said that he uh, he really enjoyed the podcast and also uh, Anil's book, Goodnight Sweetheart. Um, so you might want to check the book out if you haven't seen that yet. And then, uh, Simon, as you had mentioned, a number of listeners said that they really liked Anil's approach to st street portraits and they've either done the same or plan to do the same. 
Um, so great to see that people were actually inspired to try something new based on, you know, the conversation yeah. with Anil. Yeah, actually, I just want to re rewind back actually because uh, yeah. um, when you mentioned uh, uh, about M42 cameras, we did, in fact, you actually just touched upon it ever so slightly. Um, one of the uh, people to feedback, it was, this was on Annal's uh, Instagram post, was Graham yeah. from uh, the Sunday 16 podcast, who interestingly right. uh, posted something on, on my uh, Instagram post saying, really looking forward to this, and then on Annal's podcast he then described the information that we gave out the uh advice <laughs> well actually do you want to have you have you got that in front of you Might yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah so so he said uh he said great show uh incidentally you got garbage advice regarding m42 cameras <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and then he goes now let's preface let's go back and 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 say that first of all and i'll preface this by saying he didn't like the chin and cameras which are probably your best bet for open aperture metering on M42. So that was off the table to begin with, right? So, so Graham said um, he really likes the Fujika cameras, and he talked a bit about those and how those are great for M42, except they're not. They're all shit. They're all shit. <laughs> except they're not because you can use Fuji's M42 screw mount, which is not the same as everybody else's M42 screw mount. Uh, so you can, I mean, you can put other m42 lenses on fujikas but then you have to do the same operation you have to do on anything else which is you have to stop down meter so i i just i mean i just keep coming back to that i don't think m42 cameras are great at open aperture metering period because it's just not it's not a good architecture for that um so so yes you can do it on on the Fujinon cameras, you can do it on uh, Minolta cameras, you can do it on other, you can do it on K-mount cameras, but you're still going to run up into the same issue is the auto aperture metering, which there's going to have to be a workaround of some form because it just doesn't work right unless you've got a camera with a dedicated uh, alternate M42 mount, which those are out there, but you're not going to be able to use, let's say, an old original series m42 lens on those cameras and have it function as an auto aperture lens does anybody know how the Bessaflex works i haven't i haven't never touched one but surely the best Bessaflex has got to have it's the most modern m42 camera so yeah that's a really good question um i i don't know i haven't used that one i haven't i don't think i've ever actually seen one in person no i haven't either you know um but all the all of the all of the auto aperture M42 cameras from the few makers that made them, they all had a slightly different version of the mount than the original M42 mount in order for that open aperture metering to work. So it would be very interesting to see how that that works on the on the uh, Casino. It, it might not. My answer yeah. to the problem is buy like a Pentax SV and use a handheld meter and stop being so bloody lazy. Yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not 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 least because the SV is a stunning camera. Yeah, I, you you guys call it something different in the states, or not? You guys call it you know is H three or something? Is that, I don't know. H3. Yeah, the H right, the H cameras. Yeah, those are great. I I really like them. Actually, um, I saw for the first time ever here last week a um, Pentax K, but the original Pentax K, which is the M forty two Pentax K, which they made for about a year. <coughs> 
and it has the 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 slow speed uh slow speeds on a front dial so it's it's a super old school version of that camera but it was the first um it was their first m42 camera that had uh one one thousandth of a second top speed and they they made it for like you know five minutes um, but it's a lot smaller than like a Spotmatic or even the SV or the H cameras. Um, it, it's really nice. So the one we the one we got isn't working. So I think we're going to get it repaired, and then I'm probably going to buy it. <laughs> 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 it's it's really really nice. You know, meterless. Um, just a beautiful little camera. There's quite a lot on the um, on that <clears throat> website owned by that guy that I don't like. Uh, about the uh, <laughs> the best of, the best of flex, you, you can search for it and find it yourself. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, it does seem to. I can't. I, I can't listen. Can't listen to you guys talk and read at the same time. But it does talk about. I think it's only stopped out metering by the looks of it. Yeah, it's. I, I. It almost has to be because unless the, that, there's no way it could be. I don't think it could be compatible with the different variations of M42 that did allow. Stop down metering. So anyway, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna read up on that. It's a really good question. Well, yeah, I mean it, it it's got a it's got a switch right there on the side of the mount, just like a spotmatic. So I'm assuming it works exactly the same way for the metering. There's, there's also the the Kickstarter camera, isn't it? The the reflex camera. Yeah, yeah, that works the opposite way around, doesn't it? You have to. I don't think my brain's gonna function at a high enough level to describe it but it's 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 always stopped down and then you have to open it open up the aperture to to no no i can't remember uh, uh, <laughs> it works the opposite way around to the way you'd expect so it can be compatible with lots of different lenses or something like that makes sense yeah he seems to he's he, i was chatting to him the other day that lawrence he seems to have some pretty good ideas well well, so that that was our going down the rabbit hole based on Graham's uh, <laughs> Fujika advice. Um, oh, yes, oh, horrible cameras. <laughs> horrible cameras. <laughs> I don't say I don't like the only. As I say, the only M forty two cameras that are actually nice, as far as I've fa- found, and I've you know tried quite a few are the are the older, um, purely mechanical. Yeah, um, Pentaxes, which are just well, I mean, there's probably other old, older purely mechanical. Entities, yeah, I, but get get all that junk out, all that crap out of the way, and you you have, you know, a nice old, and just use a meat, just use a hand. You know, you can get a meter on your iPhone for God's sake. Right. How right. hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. I keep saying this. There is a reason why the M42 mount disappeared. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why Pentax dropped it and came out with a new mount. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> um, do we want to move on to the other? There were some other comments and yeah, yeah, yeah. That, let's go through. Okay. Um, so from we had a comment on mflenses.com from Siloist. Siloist um, said, "Excellent interview with Animal Mystery Simon. What an interesting outlook he has." Uh, for some reason, I thought this was in. For some reason, it made me wonder if it was what the original 19th century photographers were like. And I think he's talking about Annal's uh, shooting style there, I believe. So there's that. <laughs> wait, wait, 19th century photographers? Yeah. I Meaning, Anil, I, I, Anil just he likes people. 
He's a yeah. He's a people person. You know, he likes to go and talk to. My wife is like this. We'll be going walking along and on the way out of a restaurant, and she'll stop and she'll start talking to some fucking person at a booth <laughs> that we don't know. And I want to go, you know, and get home. And she's standing there talking. And um, so she's a people person. I don't, and I never, I don't talk to strangers like that but um some people really like that or sitting in a pub having a beer and you know somewhere um i don't i don't you know he's a very sociable guy yeah it's it's great i think and i think if you don't have that it might be hard to do what he does i think what this uh the direction of this question is if i understand what's being said is that um there's a genre of photography very early on called the and i i do not speak french um, but it's called the flaneur, and maybe somebody can help me with this, but it basically means stroller, lounger, saunter, and the idea is that people would, early on in, in photography, people would, you know, would um, do this sort of photography where they would just kind of wander around the countryside and, and randomly talk to people and photograph them, and I, I kind of thought that's what they meant by this, you know, that question, um, but that that is a sort of an old genre of photography and uh a lot of the early street photography is referred to as flaneur photography so that was my my thought about what what that meant um there's even there's a few websites sort of devoted to this style of photography too so so maybe something to take a look at maybe we, I'll, I'll i'll pull a couple links we can throw into the podcast notes I actually did it one time when I first started using classic lenses. It was like the first classic lens, and I found it in the attic and realized I could put it on my Olympus. And we were down at a concert, and there was this guy in a booth, this hippie guy with a ponytail and a cool thing around his hair. And, and, I, and I thought, this is a cool-looking guy. And so I went over, and I said, I said, I'm, I, I really like to learn how to shoot pictures of people. Could I take your photo? And, and, he, and I said, but don't make it look like it's it's pose just just kind of look candid and i shot his picture and turned out really good and the next week i brought i framed it and i brought it and gave it to him and he really liked it and i've never done it again but so it does work actually people will say yes i would last summer last yeah it would have been last summer the end of last summer i uh, went out in london with Anil, and we it is he, he make i mean he does make it look completely effortless you know you'd just be walking we were walking down the road chatting and all of a sudden he sort of dis- disappeared from your side and he turned around and he's taken some photos of some hippies or something and um it, it, it's yeah it's amazing i actually i mean the thing i've been out on a, a photography walk not long ago and there was another chap that i was with then who was t- doing the same and, and people who do i mean i'm i don't I, I don't have any interest in it whatsoever that sort of photography well you know yeah. from an outside point of view i quite enjoy looking at it but i don't i'm not that bothered about taking street portraits but people who people who are good at it and you know do it a lot it it's it, you know, if it's an encouragement to people who want to do it, just do it because, it's, yeah. it, you know, once you get into it, it's clear from my experience of seeing and doing it, it's clear that it's 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 not it's not even a it's not even a thing to think about. You stop, you say hello to somebody, take you know, they say I'm going to take your photo if they if they're happy to, they'll say yes. If they won't, they'll say no, and that's it. Just walk on. We'll take so, so, so you're not a flaneur. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. Uh, no. <laughs> Well, it's French, so it's weird. <laughs> so I, 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 I've known a fair number of French photographers. So trust me when I tell you there. Uh, there's a okay. If you want to talk more about flaneur, I now have the, the great, <laughs> the great Wikipedia entry. No, I forgot about this. There's a great Susan Sontag quote about 
about this and her book on photography. If I would say, if you haven't, if anybody hasn't read on photography by Susan Sontag, it's like a, it's a must read. If you actually want to ever take a picture in my opinion. Um, but anyway, she, she says, here's, here's her quote. Um, the photographer is an armed version of the solitary walker reconnoitering, stalking, cruising the urban inferno. The voyeuristic stroller who discovers the city as a landscape of voluptuous extremes. Adept of the joys of watching, connoisseur of empathy, the flannel finds the world picturesque. So that's Anil, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if um, some people could pull this off much better than others. We, we walk around in our we, – we don't have a formal photography club anymore. Well, we do, but I don't, I don't go to it. We, we formed our own little group, and we meet for coffee every Sunday morning because – that's what we do on Sunday morning, and we um, walk around and we do some things. So, and the next theme is going to be street portraits. But there's this young woman, Nicole, in our group, who's a fantastic photographer, and she'll just walk up to some young woman with a cool tattoo and say, oh, "You look really beautiful. Can can I shoot your picture?" If I did that, it would be like, "Who is this fucking old guy?" You know, wanting. Yeah. You're a dude. <laughs> Guys can't really. I mean, it's hard to do that and I not be a creep. I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's the case. I don't know. I mean, I, I, as I say, I've seen Anil doing it last summer, and this other chap, um, Ashley uh, Carr, his name is. He he was doing it when I was in in yeah. Birmingham quite recently. And these are both blokes, and they were both stopping, you know, men and women without any kind of. It's not. It's it's. You're only creepy if you feel if you feel like right. If you when right. you're doing it. If you feel like it's creepy, you're going to cross Carl would like be a creep. Doing it. Would, Carl, would, Carl, would, Carl wouldn't be able to pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I just walk around with Nicole and let her ask the people that I take their picture. <laughs> just be the wingman. That works great. I'm, I'm the wingman. <laughs> I think it's just finding a, 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 a vocabulary, isn't it, that you're, you're, you're comfortable with that, that suits you because – um, it was it was great to listen to Anil and uh, and he would give examples of how he would do things, um, but that's that's ultimately what works for Anil and um, right. and it will right. it may well seem very alien coming out of our mouths because we we're not Anil and uh, it's sure. finding yeah. your own language, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. There, there, there's a guy uh, who, who's uh, very well known. Um, he shoots a series called Humans of New York. Maybe some of you guys yeah. have heard of him. Um, you know, and he yeah. shoots, you know, New York in New York City and he's shooting street portraits. But then when he posts the portraits on his site, then he has these paragraphs of what the the, the, the portrait subject had to say about themselves or, or right. something. So there's a whole like uh, 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 there's, there's a whole written portion of it that without without the, the, the text. The photographs are just like oh, okay, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. So you know, he's he's giving context to his photo, his street portraits. Um, you know, I I, I I I don't know. Maybe Carl, if if you're worried about coming off like creepy, or or uh, a GWC, <laughs> I didn't say that. Well, you kind of did. No, I think we said Carl's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean. Just tell him you're a flaneur. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. I'm a flaneur. Can I take your picture? I, I, I gotta tell you, I'm gonna use that approach. If I go to 
portraits. I'm going to tell people I'm a, I might have business cards made. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to say James Cordano, Flanor. So, so Jim, Jim, Jimmy, I got a, I got a question for you, Jimmy. Yeah. So there's that whole porn genre of yeah. where they, they supposedly approach someone on the street, right? Yeah. Yeah, you you know what I'm talking about, right? And yeah, then, yeah. not that I, not that I've ever seen this. I'm just saying theoretically, I've heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> and and they ba- they basically convince them into you know, yeah, getting into the into the into the van or the limo, and it all right, goes right, from there. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, I would think you could you could do something like that in L.A. with no problem. Yeah, um, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, literally the same. <laughs> Look, what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to work on like developing a really good French accent, and 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 that that will go a long way because in L.A. if they think like you're French, <laughs> you know, and oh, you're a flaneur, and you know nobody will know what a flaneur is. First off, and right. second off, well, you're you're French, so and you're a photographer because the French like to pretend that you know they invented photography. And they sort of did, but uh, in a lot of ways. But I, I think it would be a, a cool approach, um, not to get him in a van. But <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have like a GoPro attached to the, t- the top of the camera. Yeah, <laughs> sort of point of view, something. <laughs> it's a. Uh, uh, I mean that that little. Niche, I get niche. How do you say that word? We say niche. niche. We say niche. Well, you're it British. You're it, it, sounds, it sounds more French as well. So you, but should, you, say, you, you should try that. <laughs> but you say portrait. It's portrait. How would a Frenchman say that? I don't know. I love the whole Flanor concept, though. It's a great idea. It's a great way to like introduce yourself. <laughs> So, so, so Johnny, have we, have we got any any more feedback, or are we are we have we come to an end on that one? Uh, let me see feedback, feedback, feedback. Um, I think we have questions, but I think that sort of wraps up the feedback. Okay. <clears throat> well, let's well let's go let's go on to questions then. You want to go into questions? Okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. We have questions from. James Thorpe and also Mr. Daniel uh, Marinelli. Uh, we could do both of those if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be interesting. So, so, so James Thorpe, who I know we've he's sent us questions before. So, thank you for writing us again, James. Um, he said he enjoyed. Uh, he said Anna was a perfect pro- podcast uh, guest. First off, uh, which is which is cool. He said it was a very densely packed episode. And he's listened twice, so that's that's great to hear. Um, he said his question, I'm loving my Minolta CLE, but have been looking for something wider than the Rokor 40 millimeter it came with. He says, I think the 28 millimeter 2.8 would be perfect, but the most recently priced examples I've been seeing are plagued with white spots on the front of the lens. That's the Schneideritis. Um, I gather this is a coding issue that, or, or actually it may not be here. That's what he says. I gather this is a coding issue that wor- worsens over time. My question is, do any of you have personal experience using spotted Rokor 28 millimeter lenses? 
do the white spots uh, white spots impact the photo and if so is there a less expensive than like a alternative 28 millimeter m mount newer vintage you could recommend oh that's I'll, easy I'll, I, I don't like i don't like rocor lenses <laughs> buy a different brand of lens well so you're talking I, about rocor m mount lenses carl <clears throat> sure why not <laughs> The, uh, the 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 one I ended up well I've got I've got three twenty eight I don't really shoot twenty eight that often but I've got three and I've got the 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 Minolta one I've got is the G uh, Rockor yeah. which is the one yeah. off the TC one which is amazing that's an amazing amazing lens it for it's a bit cool toned for for color for my liking but for black and white it's an incredible piece of glass that is. So that's the that's a lens that's been repurposed, isn't it? Sort of. Well, Minolta um, made it made a limited run of two thousand uh, in thread mount. Oh right, I didn't really <coughs> realise that. I thought somebody had literally taken one of those very expensive and desirable compact cameras and um, used the lens from it. Well, they, most of them light leak nowadays, so I wouldn't blame somebody if they did. Right. Yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry. The, the the other two I've got was the the Voigtlander um, three point five, right. which is another. Uh, it, it's a tiny, and it's one of the two or three lenses that Voigtlander made in brass, so it's really nice feeling. Um, and it's 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 not the sharpest, but it's really contrasty and that's lovely, lovely lens. And then the other one is the um, the Biogon um, Zeiss ZM which has a minimum focusing distance of half a meter. So you can, you can focus it closer than the rangefinder will allow, um, which, is, which, is, which is really nice because I, I quite like closer at 28 mil photography. Mm. Why I have yeah. to own all three of these things when I shoot 28 <laughs> about four times a year, I don't know, but there we go. I can't bear to part with any of them. Yeah, and, and um, uh, Voigtlander, Casino Voigtlander, they, I mean, there are, there are several 20, I know they have several 28s, like you, you've just mentioned uh, a couple of them. So there's the, the there's a 28, that's 2835, which is a nice little compact one. Yeah. Um, they also make an Ultron, a 2828 as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And they're not, they're not that expensive. I mean, I would think used, they would be, they'd be even less. Um, but I believe the, the 2828 uh, is still in production. And then there's a 28. I think one nine that's discontinued. There's a, there's a one point. It's the one point nine. Yeah, and the replacement okay. for the one point one nine was a was an F two. The okay. F two is supposedly suffers with a bit of um, focus shift, but when I, I've had a go with one yeah. eye, I couldn't notice. That's one of those. It's one of those. You know, one of those things that people who test lenses in stupid. I was going to say, how are you going to see focus shift on a twenty eight millimeter lens? Really? Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> spend okay. you know, two minutes reading rangefinder forum, and you'll find four hundred people complaining about <laughs> right. it because they've because they've tested it. You know, with a ruler at really close distances. Because right. I only ever take photos of rulers at close distances. Exactly, so. exactly. Because that's how you use a twenty eight millimeter lens, right? <laughs> so, so I don't know. I mean, it, that and you know, there there are quite a few vintage older 28 screw mount lenses that I think would be really interesting. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of Nikors that are really, really highly regarded. So, um, but I, I don't know that those are going to be a whole lot. Well, no, they're going to be less expensive than a, certainly a new M 28, but, um, those I would, would think would be worth looking into if you really wanted to shoot 28. 
Johnny, could, couldn't you put a um, M to LTM 39 ring onto it and then look at a, a Canon Serenar? Yeah, no, um, that's what I mean. You, you those can, are nice. They're like $300, $350 yeah, range. There's, really- a, there's loads of screw mount 28 millimeter lenses that, I mean, that screw mount is meant to work perfectly on M mount cameras. That's how Leica designed it. That's just a simple adapter and it, you know, everything is, it's a one millimeter thick adapter and that's how it's supposed to work, you know? So, um, so there's loads of, of screw mount lenses that'll work just fine on the CLE. So. I'm also there's I've got a bit of a project going on with Alex Nelson. If you've come across him, he's the guy that runs um, Zero Optic. The people who make well him uh, and a couple of his colleagues who make cinema lenses or rehouse cine lenses. We're um, in the process of um, it's quite a slow process, but we're in the process of coming up with a housing for the lenses out of the Ricoh GR1. Oh, nice! Um, which. Um, MS Optics in Japan, he do, he won't touch it because mm-hmm. the shutter is inside, or well, the shutter and yeah. aperture is in in the middle of the lens rather than behind it, which is well, the lenses that he modifies are ones that have got the aperture um, behind. So yeah. we're we're I've, we've got um, a couple of dead Ricos that Alex is sort of slowly playing with, um, in the hope that we'll come up with a housing. Wow. They're not they're not going to be that's not going to be particularly cheap. <laughs> to be honest but for the Rico, i mean the rico lens is i mean you know that that camera unfortunately is a bag of shit but the um yes it certainly is <laughs> great g- brilliant so such an enjoyable camera to use until the viewfinder yeah. dies and all the plastic components die <laughs> and and yet some people still spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds on them yep <laughs> each their own i suppose yeah exactly <laughs> Just, just to, if we one one part of the question that uh, we were asked there was was the bit about the white spots, and right. uh, and, and does it affect uh, image quality? I, I don't actually know anything about this, so, so I don't know if either of you or anybody uh, knows a bit more about what this what this is. Whether it is it uh, some kind of balsam separation, is it something else going on? Uh, does any do, does anybody know anything about it? I- well, I mean, it's not, it sounds like it depends. Uh, it depends if he's talking about a coating issue, or it sounds to me usually if you see white spots, it's um, it's bubbling of the basically that paint around the edge of the lens elements. It's commonly called Schneideritis because Schneider lenses seem to be to have this very commonly. Um, some people say it affects contrast. Some people says it ha- say it has no effect. So it's I think it's kind of a case by case thing. Um, but it's you can different. see it through the lens, and it looks like it's in the lens, but it's actually the edge of the lens elements. But yeah, I don't. There may be something else with this Rokor that I, you know, I think it's a. I think it's. It's. I seem to remember. I've, let me just have a look. I seem to remember there was. It's in. It's actually in the. I think it's actually in the. No, I'm not going to say that out loud. I think it might be in the glass rather than in the. Okay. Paint. I might be wrong. Oh uh, yeah, here's a. Yeah, I'm looking at. Uh, they are well. It is like a, a well-known yeah. problem, and I don't think I think it's one of those that's sort of not fixable. Yeah, mm. that's a shame. Okay, so we're, we're all searching on Google at the same time. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we're just around like googling the same the same stuff. Right here, it's funny. So, I mean, I'm looking at pictures of it, and I could, uh, yeah, yeah. So the pictures of it, it looks like it. God, it could be like a combination. Um, 
but it looks like it's it, it looks like it's behind the lens element itself and not yeah not just the <coughs> paint edges so i don't know <laughs> i mean the schneideritis thing if it's that part of it that's common to a lot of lenses it's not unusual i i don't know i don't know enough about this issue with this particular lens though okay so uh shall we move on to the next one uh sure yeah uh so uh daniel marinelli um who's a half frame dan as i call him um he <laughs> dan is a really awesome guy i've met him in real life um he, he is uh the the brains behind half frame club on instagram and which is now also halfframeclub.com uh journal which uh features half frame photography so photography made with half frame cameras um and it's really kind of taken off over the past couple of years here um and dan's i know just recently written a a bit for 35 mmc yes hamish Yep. Yeah. 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 And it's compact, compact camera review. Yeah. Got something else in, in the works as well, I think. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. So, um, he's, he's done a lot of writing re recently. Um, so he's, he's done, uh, did something over at emulsive, uh, talking about Fuji Acros, you know, basically comparing some 100 speed films. I know that he's written, um, a bit over at Cosmo photo. He did, did a, uh, a, a test run of the film there and gave some feedback. Um, and he's, he's written a bit on film shooters collective also. Um, so, so Dan's, uh, Dan's questions are, um, he says, when you guys talk about sonar design, planar design, bygone, et cetera, I would like to know a little bit more about the designs and how the image results differ. Um, there are a few articles in the interwebs, but I feel like you guys will have a better answer. So that's one. And then his other, his other question was, um, on your episode about 28 millimeter uh, being a weird focal length and 35 uh, being another that can be kind of weird. I, I really like y'all to elaborate on why certain focal lengths are awkward. I read a re review recently where a guy complained about how bad the 38 millimeter focal length is in relation to a Konica C35 then immediately talked about how 42 millimeters is just magic. <laughs> And then about how 35 is so much better than 38. I was scratching my head furiously. The difference between 24 and 28 is very noticeable, but the difference between 35 and 38 and 42.5 seems, seems negligible. Um, so who can, who can really tell, he says. So I feel like there's a lot to explore there. Yeah, it's – so two, two – uh, geez, we could probably do a rest of the show just on those two questions. Um, uh, so lens lens design and how it affects performance or results, and then focal lengths. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about lens design or characteristics? It's a big subject, that is actually. Yeah. Now. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you you've got what? How many pages of um, thoughts on the sonar? Just on sonars alone. Yeah, uh, and it's and so much. I mean, so many, so many of the characteristics sort of seem to merge from one lens type into another. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, one of the things that I really like in lenses is a really nice, I suppose the best word for it is melty transition from mm -hmm. in focus to out of focus. So I find that something that I see with um, sonar lenses, but I've also found that 
the Voigtlander Heliar has that really nice melty transition. And the last couple of days I've been shooting with the 50mm 2.5 colour scopar. That has quite a nice transition to our focus. So, and I, but I, on my <coughs> um, Canon 50mm 1.4, that doesn't have as it what I would say is an interesting transition to out of focus, if that makes any sense. It's just a bit it just it's it's a bit sort of standard, I suppose. So but that's that's three different types of lenses. And the twenty five mil uh, sorry, the fifty mil two point five colour scopar is a as far as I can work out, is fairly not that symmetrical, but it's fairly symmetrical, so it's completely different mm-hmm. a design to a summer. So it's just, I don't know, it's, I think it's, the more I read about it, the more I think about it, the more I realise it, it's, you can't really, you can't really put too much, you know, I mean, some, some of the real classic lenses from, you know, the, you know, the very early sonars are going to have strong sonar traits versus the planar type lenses of that, of that era, because, you know, that was when, planar type took over and the sonar types were kind of dropped because they were they are objectively speaking inferior mm-hmm. but if you look now i mean <laughs> my so i mean i know we've talked we talked last time about how ridiculous it is that the, the sony <clears throat> some of the modern sony lenses or sony zeiss branded sony lenses my 55 and 1.8 that's called called a sonar if you look mm-hmm. at the formula i mean it's nothing yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't look anything like I mean I just don't know maybe it does if you're an expert in what optics look like and funny enough I mean the way it flares if you catch the light coming from a sort of quite a strong angle from one side of it you do get a bit of sort of uh, veiling flare on the opposite side which it, I find that's something that happens with sonar lenses but looking at the optics you wouldn't I mean certainly I look at it and go well I don't recognise that as anything that looks like my you know my ZM sonar, which isn't even a sonar anyway. So, <laughs> uh, uh, what you know, what do you, what do you make of any of this? I mean, do, you know, or uh, my view is, or the way I, you know, the way I'm starting to think is more. I tend to notice differences with lenses that have less elements versus lenses with more elements, and there, mm-hmm. and then there are, as I say, there are a few kind of traits that seem to seem to come along with optical formulas. I I don't I don't know I don't really worry about it too much I just like playing with them and <laughs> finding the ones that I like rather than well you you started a trend very recently with the um, that Nikon one hundred five two point five uh, that you bought yeah um, in particular uh, you bought the earlier uh, Sonar variant. Yeah. And um, almost immediately after buying that, several people <laughs> went out and bought it. One, one being James actually. And, yeah, uh, well, yeah. And you're a, and James, you're a, you know, a very, very much in the 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 portrait genre of shooting. Um, right. Um, and I know that you particularly like that lens. I mean, I don't know. Tell us a little I, bit about I your just, experiences. I just like the way it looks. I mean, it, it resonates with me. Um, and and normally. Uh, I, I like lenses, you know, with swirly bokeh and, you know, uh, like triaplan soap bubble bokeh and, and, you know, the stuff that gets a little wacky. I mean, I, I, I kind of gravitate to that stuff. But, and, and the Nikkor, the, the 105.25 is not that at all. And, and, but it, it just has 
a look that that as soon as I saw the photo of uh, that that Hamish put up of his uh, of his of his beautiful young daughter, and and I thought, wow, I, I just like the way this lens looks, um, how it renders. Uh, uh, it just it really resonates with me, and 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 so I wanted to get one um, right away, and I, I did. I wanted to get an early one, and I did. And I shot it just a couple of times with a friend of mine, and uh, and, and I like the results. They're they're I can't really put my finger on completely what what it is about how they how the lens renders. I would um, say I would say that this this the sort of sonar or what I recognize to be sonar traits about that lens right. are the that it's it's. Sharp, wide open it's sharp right. but it doesn't right. it's not clinically sharp it has that yeah. kind of no it falls of, off like it falls off from the center yeah um, and it and it has that kind of what's in focus has that ever so slight kind of glow to it which is yeah it does yeah. yeah so the, the that's caused <clears throat> as far as i understand it that's caused by um uh what do you call it spherical aberrations i think yeah right it? yes but, it is yeah right. so you get so you get that that what the point of focus for, for the light that's reaching nice, the edge of the lens nice isn't the same as the center. Right. Those are nice characteristics for a portrait lens. Yes. Um, uh, and and you know I sort of I sort of saw that um, kind of right away, and and I looked at a lot of other pictures after. I didn't just go by the one photo that you posted. Um, I looked at a whole bunch of them and and uh, photos, you know, on Flickr, Google, search, whatever. And I, I I like the way it, I just like the way it looked, you know, for especially for um, like headshot framed photos. Um, I, I I took some of my friend, you know, that were like half body um, shots. I wasn't quite as taken with with those. As, as I was with the headshot stuff. Um, I, you know, and I, I generally frame things a little looser, even when I'm shooting headshots. And because I'm so accustomed to having to leave room for, you know, graphic artists to add text and things and in, in photos. And, and uh, so I, I frame a little bit. Then I'll go in and crop um, a, a little more. I mean, I try to frame it as close to the finished product as possible with just leaving a little extra real estate in the photo. And it, 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 it just, I don't know. It's just a great look. I think that photo that, that lens produces, I'm going to use it a lot. That lens, I can see that right for headshots. Um, yeah. Soon I've, I've been confined to the house since I bought that lens. Cause I've got hay fever, which is right. means I just haven't been out taking photos for ages, but I, it's, 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 it's high on my list to to take out as soon as possible. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, other th the other thing is, I mean, that well, you're t if you if you frame a bit looser, right. it's going to be quite a lot easier to get something in focus because at two point five, yeah, depth, right, depth right. of field is 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 really narrow, and I think that's possibly another potentially another sonar trait because of the I think it is spherical collaborations, isn't it? I'm saying this out loud, and and I like that you too. You have to have the narrow it causes narrow depth of field or narrower perception of depth of field if you see what I mean. It, it actually the, the 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 focus kind of falls off a little quicker than I, yeah. I thought two five yeah. would have fallen yeah. off. Um, yeah. which which again I that's a very positive trait in 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 my mind, you know, especially the way I often like will pose people and stuff and you know they're kind of like they're not perpendicular to the camera you know they're so so right away I'm seeing you know the far shoulder falling off 
the far yeah. ear. The focus is falling off. I, I kind of didn't expect to see that at, at 2.5. Um, but it with that lens, it, it does that. And again, and, and those things then automatically bring focus and attention to the subject's eyes, which is, you know, what you want to do with a headshot. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I love the lens. I really it do. It's, it doesn't do it. The other thing I think that – so you can – What's nice about that fall off, and this is that transition to out of focus that I was talking about a minute ago. Right. What's nice about that fall off is that it's not like if you got a I don't know a one hundred five one point four lens and right. you focused on somebody's eye, their eye would be in focus, but right. the tip of their nose would be so profoundly out of focus that it'd be mm -hmm. distracting. Whereas with with a two point five lens with a with that type of fall off to out of focus, the, out, the fall off is 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 there, but is is gentle so you have a nice gentle s softening right, which right. helps draw the eye without it looking forced so you get that nat a natural nice portrait and i think right. i think it's one of the things you know these days with all these you know like the sigma 105 1.4 which i'd love to try but i'm i can't imagine i mean the depth of field on that thing is going to be so small to that it, you know at closer distance it's going to be practically useless right yeah. right i agree I agree. And then, you know, taking the end of, uh, especially women, uh, you know, the, the, bring, the end of the nose going a little bit soft focus wise is a, is a good thing generally. Um, but you don't want it to go too soft um, because then it looks, I don't know. Just looks odd, doesn't it? It just looks, yeah, it does. It doesn't, it looks it doesn't, you don't look at it and you, you find, I mean, the, the it's the purpose of, out background, out of focus. You know, right, it's like right. a never-ending conversation about bokeh. But you want the you want if you want a, a, a traditional portrait with a back, with an out of focus background. Right. You want that out of focus background to not distract from what's in focus. Whereas if you've got exactly. an out of focus exactly. tip of nose that's absurdly out of focus, then that's right. going to become a distraction. It, it, um, it, you're 100 percent correct. I mean, a distraction <laughs> is a way to uh, to characterize that, um, and and you don't want it to be distracting. You want it to be subtle, unless and, you're, unless you're, you know, unless you're a mad, you know. Some of these, I think, there's a lot of it's taking a photo for the sake of taking a photo at an absurd with an absurdly narrow depth of field versus taking right. a photo that is actually a, a nice photo of a person. Well, you know I, yeah, I, I agree. I see a fair amount of that. It's like it's like just because something can do something, <laughs> yeah, doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. Definitely, um, if that makes sense. You know, I see a lot of photographers doing that you know doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing um given the genre of of portraits and 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 yet they do them simply because they can i guess well there's three the, the three letters that spring to mind when i think about doing something in photography that just because you can doesn't mean you should is um exactly yeah. hdr <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah. I mean, I, I, I've almost never seen. Uh, would you call that a genre? HDR? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, right. but uh, I guess. But um, you know, like I hated it from day one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally from day one. The first time I became aware that it was a thing, um, I went, "Oh man, that sucks." There's a great. There's a great article on Ming Thane's website about it, where he. He's obviously got to the point in his sort of, I mean, his, web, his website's very good anyway, but he's obviously got to the point in his kind of career as a photographer and somebody that does look or does increase dynamic range in his post-production. Right. But he, he shows how 
that a lot of HDR photography they take they take it's taking tones that are supposed to be bright tones and making right. them dark tones and tones that are right. supposed to be dark tones and making them bright tones. So you end up with right. this inverted tonality, which just looks completely wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, there's nothing, I mean, some people must like it, but subjectively there's nothing to like about it whatsoever because it doesn't look, <laughs> it doesn't I, look right at all. I agree. Oh, I agree. 100%. And I, I don't know. Who, I don't know who looks at photography like that and thinks it's good. But I, what, what I think actually happened was, it's one of those things where, you know, people people started seeing it on the internet and thought, yeah, oh, a, that looks it was a it was a fad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, and they thought, okay, you know, like a lot of photographers or many photographers, you know, they they they, they spend some time. I, I imagine, like, how do I set my work apart? From uh, another uh, photographer's work, or 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 the mass of photographers' work, and I guess um, you can shoot stuff that like HDR that sucks, and it does set you apart. Yeah. Well, look at this. This is like completely different. It sucks, yeah. but it is completely different. And I think some people are are motivated that way just to be. Uh, what, what do you call it? Like at first, it was like a shooting outside the box kind of a thing. And, um, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a time and a place for shooting outside the box. There are more times and places when it's not a good idea. Than you know, James, it James I, 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 I tried it um, a couple of times when I got a camera that had that feature. And I think it must have been my Olympus EM1. Right. And, um, and I was trying to use it to get a landscape so that I had the sky and the uh, foreground, which was a wetland area. Uh, exposed and I didn't like it. I, I also thought it looked like crap. And what I found was a lot better and gave me the result that I wanted was I just shot a bunch of vertically um, uh, vertical images and then I just and then I just stitched them together. Right. And it was it was perfect. It was exactly right. what I was with, looking for. With 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 I mean the by any camera from I don't know the last five years and they've got so many so many miles of dynamic right. I mean you couldn't. It, my the Sony AR A7R whatever it is that I've got, I could take photos on a blaring sunny day on auto whatever and just slide the sliders around in Lightroom and re you know regain pretty much anything from a lost highlight. I mean, you don't need to layer up seventeen nope bracket <laughs> photos and do all that kind don't, of crap to get, get Johnny going on on, on, <laughs> on dynamic range. Well, well, yeah, yeah, we had this conversation uh, during the week here, and I yeah. about black and white photography in particular, and um, how my problem with black and white stuff on digital is there's just there's too much dynamic range, there's too much separation between tones. I mean, if you look at a classic, you know, black and white photo on Triax, what gives it that look is there's a lot of compression in the sh in the shadow and three-quarter tones and it gives that sort of poppy um uh contrast that is that's that's classic black and white photography and you, you th there there's so much tone information in in black and white stuff off digital that to me it just doesn't look right um and so i so um i i i i throw out the term i, I guess i said that film is um beautiful grainy mush because it it, it, the the grain covers up a lot of that as well. So I, Mike, Mike Novak, there is now a Facebook group called Beautiful Grainy Mush that is dedicated to 
<laughs> uh, film photography, black and white in particular. So that's out there if you want to find it. Um, is, the, the, the mad thing is, if you want to say, I just bought, I think I might mention this last time, I just recently bought a Ricoh GR digital, the first generation Ricoh GR digital from 2005. Yeah. That doesn't have 48 kilometers of dynamic range. And you take photos with it. Yeah. It, on the black and white JPEG mode. And it does a remarkably good job at looking like. I'm not going to say looking like film, but it has that compressed yeah, look to yeah, the dynamic yeah. range because it's not as good as modern digital cameras. Right. Yeah. No, that make that to me that makes a lot of sense. That 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 the com that compression of the tones is actually kind of what is distinctive about the look of black and white film photography. And I I can I I can flip through black and white digital images and i know right away which are film yeah. and which are digital because it's just so obvious that there's too much information usually yeah. there you know there's there's too much kind of fine separation and it just doesn't look right i had this conversation with one of the guys at um ilford oh god five six years ago now oh wow and uh, they were saying about photo they, when they have photography competitions and people enter photos that are clearly taken on digital cameras <laughs> it's <just laughs> obvious because there's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just obvious i mean that was the guy mel i was talking about he was like I, I, people just think we must must think we're stupid you know <laughs> we know what film looks like we we know what this right. film looks like and it just doesn't look right so that's amazing <laughs> well i mean film stock has a lot to do with that too i mean it's not just about yeah and how you, de how you develop yeah. it and, and, and how you, and, how you and process it yeah, I mean that all comes into it um, as well. But uh, do, do people try to like apply HDR techniques to black and white? Is, is oh, I've seen loads of that. Really? Is it a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know what it is. I think the um, and I've seen this with stuff that people shoot on film and then scan and then they push the slider uh, and it starts right. to look like digital. I'm like, then my mind really explodes because it's like now you've you've, you've lost everything that was like film about the film right. and just turn it into basically looking like a digital black and white. But I mean, it, you can, you can do the same thing. If you push, you know, if you push the, um, the luminance too far, it's going to have that same glowy effect. Um, sure. and I, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I even, um, one of my criticisms of, uh, the Vivian Meyer stuff that's going on right now, I saw it, um, very early on. I mean, cause she did all that stuff was found here in Chicago. Right. Um, and she lived here in Chicago and one of yeah. I, and I saw an exhibition of, her photos very early on here in Chicago at the cultural center. And they were all scanned from the negatives and printed on, you know, inkjet prints. And first of all, they looked really flat because their inkjet black and white does not look the same as silver gelatin, black and white prints. That's number one. Right. But number two, if you look at a lot of um, photos that have been scanned from negatives, people are pushing the luminance and it starts to get this edge glow, which you can't really get in black and white. You, well, you can, if you if you do like a rodinol and you you know you kind of like really um, overburn it, you you start to get that glowy edge look, but it looks different even there than it does when you do it digitally. Um, right, so it, right. to me, that's kind of a, it's a hallmark of you know the di the digital process of black and white as opposed to the film process of black and white. Well, because di digital is changing the way people perceive photographs. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, um, uh, you know, like I, 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 younger kids, like teenagers, you know, they'll look at, they'll look at like film photos and they go, oh, it looks weird. What, what, why, why is it weird looking? You know, because they're seeing the grain versus noise. 
and things yeah. like that, you know, and, and they, they don't really know what they're looking at. They just know it looks different. And they didn't come up. They didn't grow up, you know, with 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 seeing lots of things that were shot um, with film. So their their reference is, is digital. What I find funny now is the photos when I when I was taking photos when I was you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, when I first had my little point and shoot Nikon right. that you know, were essentially shit photos taken with a shit camera, you know, right. quite often with the flash. These now, if you go on like the negative feedback <laughs> facebook group and you look at the photography that people are taking now that is supposed to be trendy it's like my fucking awful photography from when i was <laughs> right. and, and that's and that's it's it's become this it's like get a shit camera put some film in it take some badly underexposed photos and that's what people think film looks like and then yeah. the weird thing is is then that from that came all these lightroom presets to make your digital photos sort of emulate really yeah. badly underexposed shitty looking film photos yeah. right yeah. right from and then, and then, and then, and then people insane. post that stuff and then others are all jumping in oh it's yeah. amazing it's amazing because amazing. it's different as you say it's like Jimmy. shit oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there, there, there there's there's photographs that purposely in my opinion purposely were made to look like shit that look cool and there's photographs that were purposely made to look like or accidentally made to look like shit and they look like shit yeah i mean like what's the difference between the do the two well it's it's i guess it's having a sense of uh artistic aesthetics that and creative aesthetics that 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 are true yeah, um, you can you, know, you can harness that look can't you, you can, yeah yeah you can har- exactly it's 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 not that every photo that's ever taken that's underexposed with a flash with a crap right, and shoot looks right. bad, because to some, uh, isn't it, in some isn't instances that whole, that's an appropriate whole, way to yeah. take a photo. Isn't so, it the whole hipster thing? Yeah, kind of? probably. Yeah, <laughs> uh, G- James, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link later. Um, okay. Now, <laughs> <laughs> there's a I, okay i generally like the photo diox folks they make a lot of really interesting stuff um they, you know they sell adapters and whatnot and they have a new product called um it's called color flare color flare adapter right um i don't even know if i want to talk about it until you see it because your brain's okay. just going to explode but okay. um it, it basically they have a whole adapter a special adapter set that helps to produce a lot of that color flare effect on digital to make it look like crappy film. Right. Um, so you really need to, I think I'm, I think maybe we need to send you one of these. Okay. You could be the, you could be the tester for it, James. <laughs> uh, but, but there it's, it's crazy. Anyway, I, I'll post a link to it in the, the program links here. Everybody should take a look at that. Well, because you know what I think has happened a lot in photography in the last I don't know, 10 years or so is that, um, you know, people are taking, um, a lot of people take boring photos. Um, the content of the photo is not very exciting. And, and, and I think deep down in their minds, they know it. And so they want to add all these other things to it to, uh, you know, put lipstick on a pig. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, 
lipstick on a pig is still lipstick on a pig. I, I, you know, or, you know, like we use, I use the term a lot, you know, frosting a turd. Um, just because you frost a turd, it's still a turd. <laughs> Does that make sense? 100%. So while we're talking about serotonin. <laughs> Fundamentally, the point is, is some people are shit at photography and try to make their photos look better by doing shit things to them. Yeah. Some people are good at photography and do shit things to them, which enhances their photos. It's the same thing. I have this conversation. My God, how many times have I had this conversation with people over the years about lenses? It's to, to bring it back to, you know, that thing that we're supposed to talk about a bit. You can, you, there's, you can take terrible photos with fantastic expensive you know five grand lenses or you can take and you can take awesome photos with you know the bottom of a milk bottle sure if if you know what you're doing it's all about applying you know it's i i've 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 got a a post on my blog about about perfection and and the what is the perfect lens and the the gist of that is the perfect lens is the lens that is right for the task at hand. Exactly. If you, can, if you try and force it, then, you know, if you try and use a, a, a bad lens to take a photo of something that doesn't, that needs a good lens, then it will look rubbish. It's, it's just all about uh, the right, right, the right tool pieces of the right puzzle. The right yeah, tool right tool for the job. You know, there's an Egyptian proverb that I like to use um, that says, uh, uh, a beautiful thing is, is never perfect. And, and, and I think that that holds true in a lot of photography, you know, like people are searching for perfection, um, in a lot of their photos. We certainly see it, um, uh, when people are talking about lenses and they get into such like minutia, uh, about, you know, the lenses ability to create perfection. And I'm like sitting there going, why do you want to create perfection? I mean, if, if it's imperfect, that's it, it, a, it's, probably a good thing and b then recognize the imperfection and try to use it creatively to 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 enhance so that's what got me into classic lenses to begin with yeah and i think that's that's probably i mean there'll be a lot of people listening to that that rings that rings true i think the 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 problem is is perfection or sort of what is objectively correct in terms of optics right it's an easier thing to aspire to it's an easier thing to understand isn't it you know if some if a lens manufacturer out there like zeiss or leica is saying look at our 50 mil otus or our you know apo summicron or or whatever that right. this is the best lens it doesn't do this it, it does do this it's sharp into the corners there's no chromatic aberrations blah, right. blah 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 those are those are for somebody who isn't necessarily uh creative i suppose or doesn't have the ability to sort of or or hasn't learned or 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 built up the ability to sort of think about a desired outcome it's very it's very easy to go okay well the best must be the best for me the best thing must be the best thing for my photography Um, and that is the entirety of modern digital camera sales lens sales is based on that fundamental misunderstanding about what photography is right and that's how a lot of people judge photos they judge it by the perceived perfection uh and i think that's you know at least from a creative perspective um i I think that's wrong well it's it's weird isn't it i mean it's it's when you've got something that is fundamentally such a create i mean photography is is a creative thing you would think that 
you would apply the sort of creative side of your brain right. to it rather than the objective scientific side of your brain. Right. Um, but then this is where things have got mixed up, I think. In right. Well, the yin and yang of photography is, you know, you have the, the science on one side mm. and then you have the, the art on the other side. And you need to find, you know, balance yeah. um, between the two. And an awful lot of people, I th seem, seems to me, are, 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 you know, way more focused on the science side, the tech side, at the expense of the of the creative side and, and, and that they're limiting themselves. Yeah. But it's, it's, if you, I mean, it's very easy to understand how it's happened. I mean, it, this, this has happened because, I mean, without wanting to sound too political because of capitalism, <laughs> it's happened because manufacturers want to yeah. sell you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Kit. You know, they, you know, they bring out one camera uh, and the only way that they can continue along the cycle of creating more cameras is to sell you the next best camera it's the only way right. for them to continue to make money and and right. those cycles are getting shorter and shorter and shorter it's the point yeah, that, you know even are. the even the top end cameras are on a you know two maybe tops three year cycle which is insane absolutely I shot, insane. you know I, I shot my i was shooting a canon 5d classic for seven years mm. and, and people were like well why don't you why don't you upgrade you know i go why I mean, you know, the 5D Classic has a, a rather interesting look on its own, and it did everything that I needed it to do. And now I shoot with a 5D2. Oh, Jimmy, why are you shooting with a 5D3? Or why? It doesn't do anything for my work, for what I do. It, it doesn't do anything that, that, that I need it to do. The, the newer ones don't. The 5D2 does everything I need it to do. The frustrating so, thing from, from my point of view is, I'm I'm actually the sucker in this conversation because I'm the person that's just about to buy a A7R <laughs> Mark III and an A7R Mark II. Uh, A7, I can't even bloody remember the numbers and letters anymore. I'm about to upgrade a whole load of my kit because right. because actually it's got to the stage where because it's Sony, it it's 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 getting very worn out very quickly. The court, you know, all right. the corners are all scuffed and, and marked and it's losing its value so quickly sure. i'm actually concerned that if i don't sell my a7r mark ii now and upgrade to an a7r you'll mark never III, be able to i'll never be able to because the yeah. fucking thing's gonna look like such a piece of shit that nobody's gonna be interested in buying it yeah right so right. you so i'm 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 dicked into this cycle but i and i found i, I had this ridiculous thing happen to me the other day and i have to i i i, I really think i must be some kind of idiot because I was looking for a new camera to do my to do my vlog. One of the reasons I was because I need to sell my Sony A7S as part right. of this upgrade cycle. So I wanted to buy a new because the, the Sony's are work cameras, and I wanted to buy a camera to replace it for my for, for home for myself. And right. I was looking at one of the Panasonic. Um, I fuck knows what the letters are. G7, um, I think it is, which is a a, a current model camera that has right. a flip over screen so i can see myself and a microphone input and it was like 500 quid i'm like this is ridiculous i spent fucking 500 quid on a camera i was spending right. ages trying to find something cheaper that's new and then i went into london camera exchange my local camera shop and there was a gh2 which is from like 2012 or something and i looked at it and went oh yeah fuck i could just buy an old camera couldn't i right like and bought this thing and the autofocus is a little bit you know it's not as ridiculously fast as some of the modern ones but it's perfectly so, fine for my little vlog and it costs me 130 quid 
Well, what are you shooting with it? I mean, why do you need like ultra fast? Well, I don't. And this is the thing. And you look at the, yeah, exactly. You, you look at the you look at the video. You know, there's people on YouTube that are criticizing the Panasonic G7 right. because its autofocus is constantly hunting. Well, it can't because it can't lock right. on and it's too fast. So you end up with this fucking crazy right. jittery backwards and forwards focusing. Whereas yeah. the GH2, the right. older one, it doesn't focus so fast, so it doesn't do the jittering. Which so it's better. <laughs> for being slower and older right <laughs> Just, so you know, older tech in, in that case older tech is better is for better the, for yeah. what for what you want to use it for yeah and, and that makes perfect sense to me yeah it makes perfect sense to me. and same goes for the rico gr1 that i meant or gr that i mentioned a minute ago yeah i'm that much of a fucking idiot that i get suckered into this world of newest is best and buy the latest thing that's on the shelf in the yeah, camera shop yeah because because we do as human beings, it's very easy to get suckered into that. It's well, it's incredibly yeah, easy to get sucked into that. You know, and it's like oh, better, best, better, best. It's like what? No, it's not. I mean, it might be depending on what you're shooting. I mean, if you're like a, I don't know, if you're like a sports photographer, um, you probably want something that's got a big buffer and you know, and and a really fast frames per second and stuff like that. You know, and I'm shooting portraits. What do I need a big buffer for? What do I need, you know, faster frames per second? I don't. I don't think I've ever shot in burst mode once, ever. Okay, and, and so why would I, you know, upgrade a camera? Because it's got a, a faster burst mode. Well, I wouldn't. Um, and I won't. Because it doesn't make any sense. So, guys, a apropos of this conversation, uh, I have another question or a comment, I guess, to share with with everyone, maybe we can talk about okay. exactly exactly along these lines. Um, so my buddy, who I think is, I know he's in. Uh, well, he was in photography with classic lenses. I think he's off Facebook now, but he's still on Instagram. Um, so Lucas Frazzi, he said, um, we're having from the Godfather? yeah, Luca Luca Brazzi, yeah, Luca Brazzi. So Luca Brazzi. <laughs> I thought he was sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> Only if they put that knife in his hand. Right. Um, right. <laughs> he he said oh, I was having a conversation with uh, uh, with him about uh, gear, etc. And he said um, the uh, he was talking about the reason to upgrade from an A72 to an A73 being the silent shooting mode, um, right. and and also another reason to upgrade being um, low light high ISO performance. Right. Um, so, I mean, those are those I know are a, a, a couple of things um, that for a lot of people are. It's like you start to think, well, do I want to upgrade? Well, I'm going to get much better low light performance. I've, there's this feature. There's that feature. So it's sort of the, that slow rollout of new features, which I feel like right. like um, Canon and, and Nikon in their heyday back about five or six years ago of DSLRs, they were really famous for that where they would just kind of right. sit, sit on – reasons to upgrade so that every 12 months or so you were buying a completely new DSLR. Um, so, I mean, I, there's some of that, I think that that still does go on. Um, but of course, of course there's always going to be technological advances. Absolutely. I mean, the the, the yeah. silent shutter thing. I do, I do a lot of wedding uh, or event bro broader, you know, event photography where silent shooting on my, on my Sony's has been a godsend apart yep. from the fact that on the current ones that I've got, if you're in strip lighting, you get really annoying banding. And I'm pretty certain on the latest versions, you don't get really annoying banding. So I'm going to be quite pleased when I upgrade my 
you know, stupid camera to the next range of stupid cameras. And I have that one finite problem is solved that, you know, when I'm in a wedding and I'm right smack behind the registrars and taking Your camera you know, is 40 frames a second on silent mode that right. I get that I don't get banding. But it's such say, a you know what? Save yourself some money and buy a blimp for your camera. You could blimp it. No, that, that's I mean that's what it's basically replaced. I mean, I with all the theater photography I did, it was always a challenge to make the thing quiet enough. And silent shooting is fantastic in that regard. But I don't think that's a change between the two and the three, is it? Really, the two has know. silent. The two has silent shooting. No. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't really. The, the, the R, the R two has silence, uh, not not the regular. Oh, two. Only the R. Okay. Yeah. So I've used the R, and I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've I've just got to say, I know that we're at, we're actually beginning to run a, a little bit short on time. Um, I could probably because of the whole dog situation. I can probably stretch a little bit if. Uh, Okay. Well, I'm I'm just I'm just conscious that um, there's a the cut there's one thing I I've, I definitely need to be asking you, uh, Hamish, before we before we finish. So um, I just want to there, there are a few things I wish I'd wrote, written these things down now because there's so many things that have um, been said from about HDR and uh, and and other things there, and I've just felt felt like uh, interjecting, but really I, I was just happy just to listen to uh, you, you're talking to Jimmy. Really, I think um, got, I think me and Jimmy should start a podcast. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I, what I want to what I want to say about HDR is um, and you know who likes HDR and this kind of stuff and uh, yeah we've got there's there's five people on this podcast that's a, a world record for our podcast and uh, and all five of us uh, are no fans of what we're talking about as being HDR. But actually, I think we're talking more about pixel mapping than than HDR in terms of those ex- extreme uh, looks. Uh, whereas HDR can be a um, a good and useful tool if it's just if it's used sensibly, especially in those uh, those landscape areas. Um, but the other thing is, like when you're saying like, well, who's who's liking these these photographs? Yeah, there's five people here that don't particularly like those photographs. But when you go onto a group, um, and, and I'm a member of several groups that are about photography, but they're about photography in a certain area, in a, in a, in a region. And uh, people will just be members of those groups just, just because they like nice photographs. And whenever a, a shot comes up and it's a, a tone-mapped HDR, which don't mm-hmm. they don't happen very often, but they, they pop on there, and the, and the place goes wild. They, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. And... And and you get it gets more they get more likes and all all of that kind of stuff. So it obviously encourages people to actually do more of that kind of thing. But this but, is that's 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 because of abstraction, and I think that it's why a lot of people why a lot of people, you know, why black and white is so regularly um, praised in that same way. It's because it's an abstraction from reality. People mm. like that abstraction from reality. Um, and you know who are we to say that people shouldn't really? Who are we to say that people shouldn't shouldn't like HDR? And that's but, that's that's exactly the point because there are times as as we as photographers, as people that take pride in what we do, sometimes we can get up our own arses at times and think, well, actually, the wider world does actually like this stuff. Well, yeah, but they, you know, though, Simon, it's I don't, they don't know any better. The, the thing <laughs> yeah, about exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, right. Yeah, we're just, we're right there. Just, wrong, just to yeah. spend some time, just to spend I, I some little bit of time right up my own ass. Those, <laughs> I don't, they don't know what they're talking about. This might sound elitist, what, what we've been saying, but I don't think it is. I, I, I think a lot of it goes back to you know basics, and you know something is good because it's good. You know, you know what? Facebook. Yeah. 
on Facebook, the, the number of likes, <laughs> I don't think is a, a, a re reflection of quality at all. I, there's a there's a Facebook page in Florida that's called the Cloud Appreciation Society, and what it is is a place for people to post pictures of sunsets. And the more blown out you make the colors, the more likes you get. And so I post pictures where I haven't done any editing at all of what it really looked like, and I'll get five likes. And then there'll be a photo that's got this red sky that never could be possible and they got 200 freaking likes and right. on our on our own facebook page if i post a picture of a camera or a lens it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll talk will go on forever and ever or your dog if you put a picture of your dog or a parrot right. um, <laughs> a lot of likes but if, and a black and white photos on our page they don't do well or if i right. post a film photo on our page it won't do well, right. um, well I, you want to get, get great likes for your uh uh Sunset photos, girl. Put an FL filter on the front, of you. <laughs> and you know it'll because it it'll it'll grab all the magentas and things and the you know it's a originally you know it's for shooting under fluorescent lights uh, and and I think there's two kinds, right? FL Johnny would know FLD, yeah. yep. FL something else, you know, yeah, and and it makes really interesting, yeah. you know, looks for sunsets, but. Um, you know, uh, you'll get tons of likes. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's way off a of reality. Um, well, and that's not, just, not, nothing not just, wrong with that. We're not just talking about Peter Lick's entire career here. Right. I mean, all of his stuff is hyper realistic colors. And, you know, that guy's what I think isn't, isn't one of his photos, the most valuable photo ever sold. Think, oh yeah, that's Peter, the, what's his name? Yeah, Peter yeah, Lick, yeah. yeah. And that's all. Yeah. That's all those absurd bright mm -hmm. colors. I, you know, and I've met photographers who like his stuff. It's all marketing with with him. Yes, yeah. That's, yeah. You know, you 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 market something the right way, and you, you hit on it the right way, and you know, and what ordinarily might not be perceived as being that cool suddenly is cool, I guess, to to consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of know, course, you're you're entering the world of art, then, aren't you? And it's like, is it Gursky's The Rhine, which is you know <laughs> just a line of green, then a line of water, then a line of green, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. what sold sold for two million dollars or something. And that's because of right, that's because that's, yeah. that's because of art, not because of photography. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I watched a a, a little uh, a show on Netflix recently. Uh, some of you might have heard of it. It's called uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi. And Hiro is this like 80 something year old sushi guy in Japan, in Tokyo. And he's like, that's all he does is sushi, he makes sushi. And he's been awarded like three Michelin stars. So that's like unheard of for basically a, a, a restaurant that makes one thing. And, and, and his whole, the way the guy like looks at sushi, um, which he, is what he's done his whole life. You can watch this and apply it to photography, the whole philosophy, very Zen-like. And, and, and I think that a lot of people, if they, if they did that, they would change what, how they perceive photography. It's not, it, 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 it suddenly they would be less inclined to, well, how do I just make this like really stand out from an outlandish point of view? To how do I have make this photo more meaningful? I guess um, than, than 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 it could be. I don't know. One of the it's one of the odd things about I think um, it's a straight. There's a strange thing in photography where it, 
there's a lot about this online where it's almost like success as a photographer is to be famous as a photographer rather right. than actually success as a photographer is just to enjoy what you're doing and and this and i think that the you know trying to separate yourself from what everybody else is doing trying to make your photos look unique or, or original right. or whatever is all part right. of this desire to become famous rather than a desire to just enjoy taking photos and you know those i mean obviously both of us have, have commercialized our, our right. work and there's an inje- there's a level of enjoyment in that that's that's sort of discreet from level of enjoyment of just going out and, and and taking you, you, and taking pictures like and, getting paid to do it and, yeah. yeah i mean it's that 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 that's very rewarding um but uh but it's yeah, different I've, from being it's different from being a photographer it's different from being you know the photos i like to i mean some people must think I'm mad. I really like taking photos of what essentially amounts to quite ugly 1950s to 1980s ah, architecture. Right. And like, but I just enjoy that for myself. I like the architecture and I like spending a lot of time lining up verticals with my shift lenses because right. that, that process is something that's enjoyable. I don't put those photos on the internet and think, you know, I'm going to be the next breasts on or whatever because nobody's going to look at them and think these are these are amazing life-changing photos but they 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 are the thing that i enjoy doing and and i think that that's so to me that's so much more important a thing to aspire to than aspiring to be famous as i say which kind of sends you off down all these weird paths of things like you know if you enjoy doing hdr fucking fill your boots i say like by all means do it right but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's an, it's it's sort of unraveling quite a big topic here. I think <laughs> you know I'm, I'm I'm mostly retired now, and uh, my passion for for photography has increased exponentially since being mostly retired. Yeah, and yet I yet I shoot way way less, even for my you know personal stuff. But because I have a psychological impediment. Um, that I'm still dealing with in my head. And that is every time I pick up a camera, whether I'm just shooting it for myself or whatever, I can't shake this feeling of, I should be getting paid. (laughs) It's not a a good thing. I mean, from, from a creative point of view um, at all. And I, I've been working on shaking this for quite a while now. It's just, and and I, and I, and I guess that's where, you know your your enjoyment for things like classic lenses comes in because it becomes a, a thing that separates exactly from that, from that commercial process. I exactly. find exactly exactly the same. You know, I exactly, and I think actually, if I was to unravel some of the reasons why I don't like my Sony cameras, it's probably just because I associate them with my job. And it's not, right. as I say, it's not that I don't enjoy my job, but you know, taking photos in the studio as I have been doing today of right. Um, um, plastic bottles again i always end up with a plastic bowls job it, today it's these little tiny little thing you know everybody's vaping these days this guy's brought right. to market these little bottles for putting your little vape juice whatever the stuff is i'm in the studio today taking photos these things oh, this is bloody. i don't want to take that thing that machine that i use for that what is essentially a very right. mundane thing and right. use it in my and it's why i like my film cameras it's why i like cameras that don't have all that complicated gubbins on it's why i like my more unusual lenses because it's all you know, an abstraction from that, from that exactly, mun- yeah. mundane crap that I do at work. Uh, I perceive it the same way, exactly the same way, and that's why I got I got into classic lenses and, and so forth. But I can't shake this feeling of of 
I should be getting paid. And yet, like tonight, I'm working tonight. Uh, I'll go in there and uh, I'll be getting paid and I'll enjoy it uh, so much less. <laughs> that makes sense. Does that make any sense? It, it does, James. Like, we feel really bad for you with, no, the mundane, there's, there's with these mundane that, subjects you have to shoot. Obviously, the eye candy's nice and all that <laughs> stuff. But, but you know, it, it, it's really that it's like now I'm at work and it's work. Okay. And I guess when I'm shooting personal stuff, it still feels like work. And I got to shake that. You know, I'm working really hard at shaking that because it's, it's like, getting in the way it's fucking up my motivation oops i guess i'll be bleak there james i think i I said fuck a few times yeah yeah but uh, james i I think uh, the obvious thing for you to do is to take is to take a film camera into uh, one of your shoots and then when you've taken your shots with it then go on to kickstarter and take a look (laughs) at the pixelator by Hamish. Nice, nice okay. segue. Nice segue. <laughs> I've got, I've got <laughs> so, uh, Hamish, talking about the Pixelator, <laughs> um, would you, we've, I've spoke about it on a couple of times. I've given it shout-outs uh, the last two 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 weeks. And um, I think uh, and I've tried to describe I feel like I could go on a, off on some sort of tangent now just to punish you for that segue. <laughs> are, we, are we doing a commercial now? Or for... <laughs> Here comes the infomercial from Hamish. So, uh, please right. take it away, Hamish. Yeah, yeah. What what do you want to know? Do you want to know what it does? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've tried to describe it as this this thing that um, it holds uh, film negatives uh, to a to um, a diffused uh, translucent background. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. That's it. And I think James actually says that's way too expensive. Um, yeah. So um, <laughs> so so I think this would be a great opportunity for you to uh, convince Hamish. Sorry, to convince Jimmy that it actually there's a good reason why it costs as much as it does, and uh, and it's a it's a really good device and for oh no 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 i think you should go for it because photographers by and large are suckers okay <laughs> you hang on are. a minute hang on a minute I, i've got this funny feeling that i'm going to be compared to gary and fong, and, you know, gary fong. <laughs> that's all you got to do is think gary fong and you'll know what suckers most photographers are <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> so I've got So you're making the uh it's for you know transferring film to digital, yes. And 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 you're making the Gary Fong of film to digital uh transfer uh, uh hold on now. You you I'm sorry no, I'm being a no, let me let me just say no, nobody no. nobody needs a Gary Fong. You can you can build that on your own. I no, think well, I, I you know you do, John, Johnny. You could you build it like what do you what you do you use? Use a a, a, a a light box? No, this is what this was, yeah, this was what I was gonna say. I, I personally don't need this because I have a workaround which involves right. a stack of enlarger you know, film carriers for enlargers, right. but I, it, that's stupid. I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you want to do digitizing to have one thing rather than have a stack of literally, you know, 30 year old enlarger carriers. I do it that way because I like it, but it's not really a logical way to do it. Right. So I, that's what I will say about what, what you've done, Hamish. I think it's, it's smart for someone getting into it who yeah. wants to start doing it, who maybe even never used an enlarger, you know, I, <laughs> this is it. It's it, for me. It's. I, let me start at the beginning. So I set out with this because I did the botch 
and the bodge worked. I took, I, mm-hmm. I, I bought a, a Mod 54. I bought a, a pinhole Titan camera. I, I took my first photos. I developed my first sheets of 5x4. And I got these sheets and I was like, what the fuck do I do with these now? Because I can't, I'm not interested in, in buying a 5x4 in larger. And I'm, I'm equally not interested in spending 800 quid on an Epson 850 mm-hmm. um, for the relatively infrequent amount of times that I shoot five by four. So, you know, I just originally, I just, all I did was sellotape the, the five by four neg to a sheet of this, uh, to a sheet of acrylic and right. held it up by a window and took a photo of it. And it turned out, turned out fine. It wasn't amazing, but it turned, it, it, it worked. Um, but what I wanted was a product that would allow that would without, you know, spending fortunes on, negative carriers and 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 all this sort of stuff so i sent i started down this part and it was just for five by four that was the original idea it was just for five by four but as it's developed it's we re, you know with the latest um uh, product design i've been working with steve we realized that if we take the gates as they are now they're they're just made from the cutout bit in the middle so it actually works quite nicely for 120 and 35 mil as well so we thought well, i thought well what you know why don't why don't i make it for 120 and 30 35 mil and um, right. really it was just about the essentially the, the democratization of a, of a process it was about making taking a five by four photo and getting it into your computer slightly easier for people who've never done it before um and, and, and as i say over over the time the product has developed to something something more than that's so that that's equally you know i've got a you know a lot of the lower end epson scanners are just for 35 mil um so i think I guess they probably a lot of them do 120 as well now, don't they? Um, but you can, it's a really simple piece. You know, I mean, it's at the moment it's 32 quid and it's a, you just stick your negative into it, stick your two bits of plastic down. It doesn't hold it perfectly, perfectly flat as, as, uh, as some people desire, but I get amazingly sharp, um, images out of it with my ridiculous Sony camera. Well, then you might be charging too little for it. You well, know, there's, there's a lot to be said for, if you don't charge enough, people think it's cheap, and they don't want but to buy I want, it. I want it to be cheap. I want it to be something that it, it's you know some people will buy this and they will you know use it on its stand with their iPhone and take some photos, take some quick snaps of their of their whatever format of film and stick it on Instagram. Right. And that's all they'll ever use it for. Some people right. will use it with a as I use it in my studio with a with a um, a copy stand. Um, and at the moment, I use an iPad, but I'm, I'm going to get a light box at some point. But um, Johnny, you have a copy stand, right? That's what you have your camera. Yeah, on? yeah, yeah. I use a, a copy stand uh, with a LED light tablet um, right. and a macro lens, and and negative carriers from a larger for each film format that I have, which right. is why I am saying that I think actually for the price and what it does, this is what Hamish has brought out is pretty brilliant because otherwise. If you want to hold the film flat, you have other ways to do it, but it's going to involve you're going to have multiple different things, and I, I kind of like the one the one size fits all approach to it is is pretty nice. And it's just and there's really there's really nothing wrong with being the yeah. Gary Fong of that stuff. I mean, but, except that's how I was saying this is actually useful. You, I mean, it you know, <laughs> <laughs> it actually does. What it claims to do is that what you're saying? Unlike I mean, yeah. There are, there are. I mean, I used. I remember. I, I don't like. I'm not. I'm rubbish at flash photography. I'm that dickhead who bought a Gary Fong, 
Um, and there were certain circumstances that, 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 I mean, this is going back sort of six, seven years. There were sort of some circumstances in low lit wedding venues where, you know, my camera, because it was seven years old, wasn't, didn't do 40 trillion ISO, at, you know, and right. produce good, good photos. Yeah, yeah. So I did have a Gary Fong and it did add a little bit of fill light and it was, you know, okay, the photos might not have been, you know, up to Jimmy's standard in terms of lighting, but they were good enough. Yeah, and right. I think this is, you know, this is the, if you want to take, if you want to use a, a digital camera to digitize your negatives, the absolute peak that you can do that is, well, there's so many methods, but one of the ways that you can do that is with a sheet of anti-Newton glass mm -hmm. sandwiched right. between it and, an, and another sheet of uh, some sort of material to diffuse it. Sure. Um, so it's perfectly flat. But that's it's it's a fiddly it's a much more fiddly process. What I yeah. tried to do is make yeah. this holder. So yes, it's still a little fit, a little bit fiddly. But it, when you want to change from one frame to the next, you just pull up the corner, you slide your negative, and then right. put the, push the corner back down. Right. And it, it, it's not it's not the most. I'm not saying it's the most easy solution to the problem, but it does help the solution to the problem a bit, a little bit, and also it opens up. You know, when there's a product that does something, those people who bought those Gary Fongs, who, you know, some people who bought Gary Fongs would have gone on to chuck away their Gary Fong because they would have learned how to do that thing to a much better right. level. Actually, Pixelator gets to your nine out of 10. It doesn't, I'm not saying it's going to get, it's not, it doesn't hold the negative perfectly flat. Well, it holds most right. negatives perfectly flat, but it, sometimes you can get a little bit of curl, which means sometimes you'll get a little bit of, you, you know, if you shoot, if you, if you don't shoot at a, a small enough aperture, you can get a little bit of, you know, problems with focusing. But for most people, actually what Pixelator brings is, 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 is a good solution to the problem to get a, a pretty damn decent quality certainly a quality that i've been happy with i i only when i i my five four when i shoot it i digitize it with with the, the various prototypes of pixelator and get a result you know it's only 42 megapixels if you've got an epson 850 you can get up to equivalent of hundreds of megapixels but right. i don't think i don't have any practical use right. for a, for a 700 megapixel Yep. <laughs> photo when a, a, a 42 megapixel photo is perfectly good and actually use it, the, the quality and it, what people I think everybody thinks about fucking resolution it's back to this mm -hmm. conversation we're having a minute ago about it's more megapixels it's the other one it's more, mega, more resolution more megapixels yes 5x4 brings you shit tons of resolution but actually there's loads of other things that 5x4 brings it, the look of 5x4 is very different to the look of 35 millimeter. N not only that, I mean, you can. Sh I shoot a lot of HP. I love shooting <laughs> HP5 uh, exposure index 3200 and pushing it because it, it, five by four, you you can't see the grain. You're shooting mm -hmm. Dev in mm -hmm. DDX, and you can't see the grain. So I shot it in like really dingy factories and got some. Oh, lovely! It just looks amazing. And that's nothing that's to do with the form, but it's not because of the resolution of the format. It's because of all of the other properties of the format and the film. And I can digitize that with my 42 megapixel camera and get photos that I'm 100% happy with. And that's where the idea of Pixelator came from, was that level of happiness with those results. If you want 7,000 million megapixel scans of your 5x4, buy an Epson 850. But if you want, you know, if you've got a digital camera like a lot of people do, and you've got a decent enough macro lens for it, 
this is 30, 40 quid and he's going to get you pretty damn decent results. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what that, that's kind of my point about why I think this is a good product for people that are just wanting to digitize some stuff is that it, it's, it's actually a, a cheap way to handle a lot of different film formats and keep yeah. them mostly flat. And, and I have to say there, if you try to do it, you, you buy the only other way you're going to do it is to buy some sort of film carriers and you're going to spend on three of those, you're going to spend more than that. So if you get a 30, a 35, a 120, and a four by five, you're going to spend used about $75. So that part of it makes sense to me. And I, 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 I got to agree with you, Hamish. I mean, I used to do drum scans for a living in a photo lab and you, you don't need that much resolution. Most people's output device is the internet. It's yeah. not, it's not a 30 by 40 print. It's not a billboard. So unless you're making, taking those pixels and turning them into a physical object, you're throwing away all of that resolution. So it's basically this, this quest after resolution we don't need. I mean, I digitize most of my uh, film stuff, my film shots at, with a 16 megapixel camera. And that's more than enough resolution, you know? Yeah. Well, most, most lab scanners I mean, I've got an Aritsu LS1100. That that that's that's top resolution. Yeah, yeah. is 24 megapixel yeah. equivalent. You know, you look at the Pacons; they're six megapixels, yeah. and people are happy with them because right. they're displaying their photos on the internet. And actually, I I deliver my photography that I as a professional that I deliver. I used to deliver it. I used to deliver 3,000 pixels on the long edge, which is six megapixels in in three by two format. I never had a single person ever say to me, "I need it high resolution than that." Right, it, like commercially, because you don't you don't need you don't need more than that. No, and you don't. Who who shooting large format legitimately is taking photos and then blowing them up to a size? What, what resolution are most magazines printing at these days? Well, it's not, two, not two not point, three hundred, isn't it? Three hundred. Yeah, three hundred. Yeah. Three hundred DPI is still the is still the right. standard right. output. So I mean, you're basically the biggest thing they, you ever they, need from most publications. Ten or twelve megapixels. Yeah, that. you need you need three hundred DPI at eight at at you know whatever the magazine right. size is. So worst case scenario, you need three hundred DPI at probably eleven by seventeen. Right. So you know, and so yeah, that's that, you don't like you know you can the, right. the amount of resolution that's in a the amount of resolution that's in a six megapixel three hundred DPI output is Perfect still reason. is still yeah. big enough to be put on a billboard Absolutely. because of circle of confusion. Absolutely. You know, right. you, and you stand far. You don't. You don't right. stand and look at a billboard from two inches away because right. you can't fucking see it. It's you stand distance. further away. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, right. You know, it's right. there's so much. There's so much madness. I've received a lot. Of, you know, there's been not a huge amount, but there's been some criticism criticisms of the concept of pixelator because people are saying, oh, well, you know, unless it's unless you you know unless you're squashing it between a sheet of A and R glass, you're not going to get the best. I fucking know, but you don't need it. <laughs> right. You don't need it. There's, most people don't need that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and who, and then, uh, I, it, 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 I mean, I haven't bitten a lot. Most of I have said a, a couple of comments. You know, Which I'm losing the product. To I'm not going to start a having 5D a people on the internet. But. Classic for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I shot a bloody, my, when I was, when I started out as a professional, I had a six megapixel Fuji, oh, well, I mean, the ups sampled to 12 megapixels but it was essentially six megapixel fuji s5 pro and and the photos i think were amazing i've been tempted to buy one right. again just for how good of photos unfortunately they're all dying now but they took that thing took lovely photos yeah and as i say i was yeah. delivering wedding photos back then and people nobody ever went 
Uh, can I have um, a 40 uh, megapixel version, please? Because I need to print it the size of my fucking house. It doesn't yeah, happen, does it? Never once How? Uh, uh, yeah, I could rant about this a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll just just uh, w one thing I'll I'll say again, just to kind of reiterate on this is that you know I have sitting here on my desk an Epson uh, V700 uh, scanner that a lot of people really love for scanning film, um, and I I never ever liked it for scanning film because to get the quality I wanted meant I had to wet mount to the scanner bed, oh, and oh, and that takes fifty quid on a better scanning holder. No, I but but see, I I don't like those either because you, then you have so much dust and so much crap to clean up. The only way to get a clean scan of a flatbed is to wet mount it because you get rid of all that instantly. You don't have to do it. So to me, that takes way too much time when I can digitize it and get z like literally get zero dust. I can get like three pieces of dust on a 120. <laughs> you know, so I, I I never wanted to even bother with the better scanning holders because it's still the same problem. Mm. You know, so I, so so to me, I use it for reflective artwork, and that's it. I don't scan it. I don't use it for film because it's too slow. You know, having having done it on a real scanner, I just it, to me that it it's way too much work. It, yes, it will produce great results, but at a at a workflow that is just insanely slow. Yeah. Do you know? Actually, I uh, I got. The the I one of a particular photo I took of a, um, a, a cider producer, a Herefordshire cider producer. Um, I took some photos of this guy, and they were quite underexposed. I, I didn't have I didn't take uh, take into account Bellows extension. I was taking some photos in his kitchen, which was very low light. And again, I was using my five point six Simar lens, shooting HP five um, uh, uh, exposure index thirty two hundred. Didn't take into account Bella's extension ended up with some underexposed photos. Yeah. I could not get a photo that I was happy with out of the Epson 850. I kept on getting this weird, like almost like sparkling in the highlights. I guess I can't even really describe yeah. it. It took me eight so many scans to get it right. I hooked up recently. I've, um, the, the, uh, the negatives have been at a friend's house where we, you know, who owns it, that owns this scanner. Um, I got the got the, the the negatives back, digitized them with my Sony A seven uh, R two on with the pixelator on a on a copy stand. First frame, first go, a couple of tweaks in Lightroom, two or three minutes, and yep. the, it was perfect. You, you sit and watch an a, 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 an Epson eight fifty scan at one of its high resolutions. You could you could go downstairs have your dinner. Yep, that's exactly and my experience as well, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> and you can't use digital ice to remove dust on black and white images. No. It does not work. No. So, so there, you know that. There you go. I mean, that's why I I, I like what you're doing. I personally, I don't need it because I have a, a different workflow. But if somebody was getting into it, I mean, I wouldn't tell them to do it the way I'm doing it. It's insane. It, it's too much. Mm. It's too much stuff. You know. This is it. This is this is the problem I wanted to solve, and this is the this is the kind of the message that I feel like I've struggled to get across to some people. A lot of people seem yeah. to more people get it than I expected. I mean, I was yeah. not expecting it to get to fifty two thousand pounds. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, I'm just, I'm blown away, obviously, wow. by that. C congrats on that. It's yeah. I mean, Thank that's you. It's, super it's, cool. It's, it's crackers. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is crackers, but. So obviously, some people get. Well, how much? Are, how much have you raised? Fifty fifty one thousand seven hundred pounds. Last look this this morning or early on this afternoon, which is it's just serious. Yeah. Fifty. Yeah. So that well, what's that translate? Wow! Congratulations. 
<laughs> Thanks. I mean, I, don't, I genuinely, I don't know what to say. I haven't quite got over. It. I mean, the, I'm obviously now. I'm, you know, I'm talking to, I'm talking to manufacturing consultants because I'm in a position sure. where I've, you know, I've <laughs> gone from this idea that I was just going to get this chap up in Liverpool to laser cut a few of these things and ship them out to people. All of a sudden, I've got this thing has kind of exploded. I've got to think about how to maintain this. I mean, if you know, I've got to support these people and I've got to. I've got a product that seemingly more people are going to want to buy. I, I, so I'm bringing manufacturing locally to me. I'm trying to work out the best way to do it. I'm talking to, talking to the county council um, here about a relationship with the, there's a, a really nice company locally to me. They're, they're, they're a publicly owned company that do manufacturing um, packaging and, lo and logistics. Um, the really nice thing is they, they only, or sort of for a large percentage of the employment there, are people with various mental disabilities. Wow, physical and mental disabilities. So it, wow. it's turning out to be something that I, I can actually do, hopefully do something positive. Something positive can come out of it in that sense as well, which is really, really nice. Um, but yeah, I've got so on, much. Are you, on, are you on Kickstarter or GoFundMe? Uh, it's Kickstarter. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's all, it's all, it's all go, and it's all, it's all, it's all really exciting. And as, but as I say, there are a couple of people out there who've, who've kind of challenged it and said I don't get it or. You know, I could. You know, people are saying, "Oh, well, it's only you know how much? How much does the plastic cost?" And it's like, "Oh my god!" Do you, the reason things cost the reason things cost money when you buy them from a shop is because you're you, when you pay something in a shop, you're paying for the profit margin in the shop. You're right. paying for the profit margin of the distributor, and you're paying for the profit margin of the manufacturer. Right. Yes, this is made out of plastic that you could buy for very little money, but actually, for actually. If you were to buy the Perspex I, I use, it would cost you about £25 if you were to only buy the amount that you need to build one of these things. I, the only reason I can get the price, the production cost down to allow a profit margin for a retailer and distributor is buying shit loads of plastic. You know, we're yeah, talking yeah. a lot of plastic to get, the, to get, those, get those margins down. You know, it'll be way cheaper than a Helios 44 in Chicago. So. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, Hamish, have you? Uh, I, I know this. This is uh, probably a question you, you you get asked all the time, um, and but I'm going to ask you anyway. And uh, have you have you got a, a latest estimate on when you think these might be shipped? The, I'm doing everything I can. It's on the Kickstarter. It says September. I'm doing everything I can to maintain that. I didn't expect this to happen to the, ex the extent it has. We we kind of joked in the so I had like. £10,000 was the goal or thereabouts. £10,000 was the goal. £20,000 was like the, you know, wow, that'd be amazing. £40,000 was the kind of like, you, you know, things are getting exciting. We're going to have to start to think about how to do things differently. We're now looking at something like £60,000, which was, I joked in the office about, oh, what if it gets £60,000? We never dreamed, me and my business partner, that it would get, get, to this, get to this extent. So, of course that's going to have an impact on on delivery but this is why i'm bringing in a, a an engineer or manufacturing engineering consultant because mm. i want to do my best to to, to honor that i don't want to be the next lab box do you know what i mean i don't want to be two and a half years down the road people still waiting wondering what the hell's happened or you know ferrani or you know all of these other projects that have happened where you give them i don't want that to happen i'm i'm set i set myself i'm setting myself this goal of september if it goes over september a bit you know i'm sorry but blimey you know hopefully people will give me a little bit of leeway and think, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna keep people up to date i think that's the one thing that a lot of kickstarters right. don't do is keep people up right. to date and right. 
I've got to say, right. I think one of the reasons why it's it's been as successful as it, as it's been is, is is because of you, because a lot of people know you, know what you're about, and you're a no nonsense kind of person. And I'm I'm sure that people, I mean, I certainly believe that uh, investing in a product by yourself is is going to be as as developed as it could be by the time that Kickstarter would uh, would mm. would, get, would would launch and um, and I know that you wouldn't want a situation where it, it, it's an indefinite period for uh, people to get their product. Well, you've got to. I mean, you know, one of the concerns I have is obviously, you know, I spent five years building up sort of building up brand thirty five MMC and all that. So I don't want to do anything to damage that. Um, for for a start, do you know what I mean? I don't want to jeopardise what what yeah. I spent all this time. Um, all this time building but I think somebody said to me one of the biggest compliments I've had so far about it was somebody said because one of the things I also always go on about on the blog is simple design and you know like the, the equivalent of the kiss principle and all that sort of stuff you know keeping things as simple as possible right um, and somebody said to me you know if you're bringing all of those I- ideals to a product then then I'm on board and that's exactly what I've tried to do from the start you know the pro- all three product designers I've worked with the first two just tried to overcomplicate things and make things more expensive and more difficult to produce. Steve, the guy I'm working with now from Chroma Camera, he gets it. He gets my motivations that I just want a simple product. Like we talked about magnets, we experimented with it just it's too complicated. It had to be a simple thing that does a simple job to as good a um, level as that type of simple thing does. As I say, it might not be as good as in terms of ultimate sharpness and resolution, it might not be as good as what you could get with a sheet of AR glass. But it's going to get it's going to get damn close, and it's going to get damn close, in my opinion, because we've kept the product as simple as we possibly could. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Well, I think that's a, we're going to bring things to an end now, um, and I think I've I'm going through that same thought process as Aid on the Sunday Sixteen podcast with the, on your first appearance, where I'm thinking there's just too much swearing in this now for me to bleep out. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. So no, I, so. I kept I kept it under control the first time. Yeah, you did, you did, you did. But 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 I read someone say the other day, and one of what was one of you guys? I don't know. You said it that I kept my I kept yeah, myself it was under me. control I it, on yeah. the first one. But since that first one, all you fuckers have started saying fuck all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I have to go too. I, I I'm getting uh, phones I ringing, dude. Okay. Yeah, I know, I, Okay, well, let's. Um, I, I don't know if uh, John will be back to say say goodbye, but let's um, let let's do do a wrap up. Um, first, uh, Hamish, if you could uh, give people um, some link, well, verbal links as to uh, how they can follow you in the various places you're out there, and perhaps you could also give the uh, the spelling of your uh, Pixelator product as well, and how they can uh, check that yeah. out on Kickstarter. Uh, but th- the best way to find me is just to go onto 35mc.com and click on one of the social media links in the top right hand corner. Those all go to my. Uh, I've, I've sort of blurred the lines between personal and, and sort of blog um, social media platforms. Um, Pixelator is uh, P I X L hyphen L A T R. If you go to thoseletters.com, there's a link to the Kickstarter. If you just search for P I X L hyphen L A T R, on Google, for some reason, it, it tries to correct you and say P-I-X-L hyphen L-A-T-E. Ignore that. Click the ignore button, and then all of a sudden, there'll be loads of stuff to do with Pixelator. So that's that should be easy to find. Uh, and my Twitter for Pixelator is my Hamish Gill, uh, just at Hamish Gill. Um, so, yeah. 
that's that's probably everything you okay have you have you got any i didn't ask you before have you got any shout outs uh do you want to mention anybody this week uh well i mean um i guess i did mention a chap called ashley carr earlier on he's a he's a, a great uh birmingham-based um photographer he's uh he does a bit of the the street uh portraiture uh, but he also does a lot of photos and this is why i like him of essentially an interesting architecture mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he's very very good at it so if he's on uh yeah, instagram it's probably ashley car i think I'll, I'll send you a link in a bit That's it. We'll, uh, we'll and then the uh, you know as always if you're into film photography then you know you've got to get on board with uh the sunny 16 podcast and emulsive and you know bellamy and and uh cosmo and all that sort of stuff because you know they're my mates yeah, I, I was. I'm. I'm still uh, trawling my way through the Sunday Sixteen podcast. I'm. Uh, I'm almost into the eighties now. I'm in. in I'm at uh, November last year, and uh, there's a there's a section there where uh, Graham's just introducing the um, the Sunnies again, or, or their, their awards thing. I, I guess we should have our, do our own awards actually. Uh, but um, the Jimmies. The Jimmies. <laughs> and uh, one, one of the... Uh, one of the Best rant award. Well, there was, there, was a, there was a section that they had there where he decided that he was he was thinking of um, having a section for best segue and I'd, I'd like to formally enter my segue to, uh, to <laughs> into that if, we, if, we, if that's at all possible. Um, but, um, but anyway... Um, uh, Johnny, have you got any shout outs? And if you please do them now and then move on to uh, how we can find you. Yeah, uh, I think I mentioned about uh, we took a question from Dan Marinelli. I just want to give him a shout out for uh, his work with Half Frame Club and everything else he's doing right now. Um, and I'm just going to say, Dan, we need to have you on the podcast at some point for sure. So, um, anyway, Dan Marinelli, check check him out. I'll, we'll put some links uh, up online. Um, and for me, you can you can find me on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm at System Photography there. You can find me uh, every day except for Sunday and Monday at Central Camera Company in Chicago. Um, and you can find me in the uh, Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group. And you can email us at oh shit, where is it? Hold on, hold on. Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, Carl, any uh, shout outs or just go straight for how people can follow you? Oh, so, just a quick, so this isn't a shout out, but um, people ought to check out the work of a, of a relatively new member whose um, photo is the, the banner image right now. And it's a guy named Ben Bond, and he's in Ghana. And he has a company called OAB Photography. And, it, and check out his, his Facebook page, his, his people photography. It's just brilliant. I mean, and he does outdoor natural light photos. I think that's what they probably are, and they're and they're, they're they're really nice. Um, and so you can um, see me mostly on the photography with classic lenses Facebook page, also on Instagram, and then also um, Flickr. And uh, uh, we've we've lost Jimmy, uh, but oh yeah, but, oh, I'm but, well no, but, but I'm but I'm going. I, I, I I'm getting bugged. My my granddaughter keeps anyway. Uh, I have no shout outs. I don't care if anybody can find me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, if, you, if you insist, uh, you can occasionally find me on the photography with classic lenses page. And, um, but that's it. I don't have an Instagram. I don't do any of that stuff. Uh, so I'll probably never be famous. But uh, uh, yeah, it was you fun, know, guys. 
and and again, I, I'm I, you got a huge congratulations from me, Hamish, for 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 your uh, Kickstarter uh, uh, campaign. I think it's in fact now. I want to do a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> I just don't know. I just don't know what I want to kickstart. Uh, it's got to be something. But I'm going to find something. Oh, I've because got a brilliant idea. What you can you, you, you inspired flash, me. A flash modifier. No, I do <laughs> have. It's like a actually, kind of like diffuse thing that you just kind of stick on the end of your. No, actually, I, I do have a modifier that I've been toying with for about three years, um, uh, and and now I'm more inspired to actually get off my lazy ass and 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 maybe do something with it with a uh, with a with a, a a kickstarter or gofundme campaign i don't know maybe we'll see but it was fun guys um and i got a bail i can't stick around for the post show uh, uh no, no worries well th- thanks thanks again jimmy Alrighty, ciao yeah so um so I just want to say thank you uh, to, to to Jimmy who's now gone and to Hamish for being our guests uh, uh, this this week. Um, it's been really enjoyable, um, and I've got a uh, just just one shout out, um, and that's to Pear Edmund of uh, Photography with Classic Lenses who. I'm not sure how much irony has, has gone into this, but he's just in, he's just invited me to the Minolta Rockor Boca group on Facebook, and uh, yes, uh, I think he knows I do not own a single uh, Minolta lens, and having sold them all, and uh, just generally take almost any opportunity I can to say bad things about uh, Minolta lenses. Although I was actually quite kind recently with some autofocus lenses, so uh, perhaps they they're okay on there. So uh, thanks for that pair, and. Uh, and finally, I'm in a few places. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Uh, I'm on Flickr as it's Fozzy. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. I'm on there. Well, I'm on there possibly as that and as Simon Forster. Um, I've got a website which is uh, simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. Um, and you can find us all in the Facebook group, uh, Photography with Classic Lenses. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and it'll be great if you can join us again next week. Goodbye. Hey, Simon. Yes. I thought you were going to wish Pear a happy for you birthday. Oh. Yeah, you didn't wish him a happy birthday. No, oh my I, God. I didn't. Happy birthday, Pear. Happy birthday, happy Pear. Birthday. I hope you get a good camera for your present. Hey, what? how do you spell that French word that you said earlier? Uh, it's Flaneur. It's F-L-A-N-E-U-R with a little weird French thingy over the A. Come on, can I have my dinner now? <laughs>